You know, Ray, I know you believe in discipleship because you've said it hundreds upon hundreds of times to people in public. I don't believe in follow-up, <laughs> propping up uh, sinner, whatever you say. I do believe in discipleship. Yeah, I believe in feeding, nurturing, and discipling. John 8, 31, 32. Uh, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, not just in word, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So when someone comes to Christ, they become a disciple, and then they grow they nurture, they're nurtured, they're fed, they're discipled. And I think the word disciple obviously comes from the word discipline. And that's what you need. We're part of an army. Have you ever seen the movie? I haven't watched it all because it's probably got bad stuff in it, but called The Dirty Dozen. Heard of yes. it. Yeah, you know what the story is with that? Yeah, it was a whole stack of murderers. A dozen of them were just nasty dudes that were going to be executed. And they came to him and said, we've got an impossible task for you to fulfill in the war. If you fulfill it, we're going to pardon you. But you're going to risk your life. It's and they're all criminals. They're all horrible, horrible guys. Wow. But they, during the whole thing, they didn't come. They didn't enlist in that sense. That was, you're going to lose your life. We're going to kill you if you don't do this. You're going to live if you do it. How different it is when we come to Christ. We come with a complete yielding to him, surrendering, loving him, serving him, and doing it with uh, great enthusiasm. That's the difference between the dirty dozen and the dirty Christians. Mm-hmm. We're soundly saved, but we're, we're serving God willingly. We present our bodies a living sacrifices, holding it, acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. So our discipline comes motivated by gratitude and love and for what we've seen in the cross. Interesting trivia about the Living Waters podcast. Guys. Guys, people like to know some stuff about us here and there and now and then. Really? Yeah. I was thinking, am I getting old or does everyone do this? But I've become an extraordinary creature of habit when it comes to what I eat in the morning. And you guys, Rachel always laughs at me because like nutrition stuff will come up and I talk like I know what I'm talking about and I have no idea about anything regarding nutrition for the most part. But what do you guys eat for breakfast, Oscar? This is so weird. This is like deja vu for me because I was thinking, I wonder what the guys eat for breakfast. This is this really? morning. I seriously was. That thought came in mind. Really? And I thought, I'd be embarrassed to say I have a piece of toast and an egg every morning. Exactly the same. <laughs> I put the salt there. I have a knife fork there. The egg has to be that size. The toast goes in the toaster. And I thought, repetition. I'm just crazy. But it's oh, what I like. I wouldn't crazy. swap it for anything. No, because, I mean, as a kid, I wasn't like that. And I'm finding more and more routine in my life. Of course, so. what you like. Yeah. My, I feel like my entire life is not routine with the exception of my mornings, which is my reading, my prayer time, and my breakfast. Really? So you eat the same so thing, too? I have one, I have two breakfasts that I, are my go-to okay, breakfasts. whatever you do, don't talk about coffee in your coffee. It's included. Oh, no. I do either three scrambled eggs and granola and Greek yogurt, or I do three over medium eggs on lime squirted spinach. Like a salad. This is a joke. Thing. This is real life. And both with both those, a cup of coffee. Oh, you need help, Oscar. <laughs> That's just weird. Mark Spence, are you uh, part of the cool club here? You eat the same thing every day? Well, I typically do a smoothie, uh, which includes uh, banana, blueberry, almond milk, peanut butter, and protein powder. Yeah. I uh, love it. And if nuts during the week, but on the weekend, I enjoy making when possible some good hearty potatoes with bacon, some grilled onions. Yeah. Uh, one you know, over medium egg and... I am not a breakfast person in terms of oh, like, I I, it's my least favorite meal of the day. 
Because it's just all, it's usually the same stuff. Like, especially when you go to eggs. I mean, you go to any men's retreat. You go to any men's breakfast. Bacon, bacon, eggs, potatoes. Love it. Stop it. it. No, hang on a minute. I went to a a men's breakfast on a Saturday morning, and they said, we've never had such a huge turnout since we invited you to come. And this is the first time I've ever had bacon. (laughs) (laughs) And there was about two to 300 men, and you could smell that bacon. Well, our church, they will want from time to time, they'll do do steak. Remember, Mark? The steak. That I can handle for breakfast. Uh, But no, I do. You want it like overcooked Steak with your A1 sauce, though, right? Oh, A1. Do you guys know how savage much this guy jerky. is with the steak? I had a friend that brought me to a steakhouse recently for a Wagyu steak that was imported oh, yeah. from Japan. Nice and, and fatty. I, it was like with a, a steak from with, Japan. With the marbling. from Japan. They wow. brought it over especially for you? They brought it over especially for that restaurant, oh. and my friend ordered it for me. Wow. Okay, so I'll tell you guys what I eat. You tell me if it's good. I, this is my typical, and I hate it, though. I don't want to eat the same thing every day, but I... You should try spinach and egg. Uh, I, yeah. So I have a banana. I have a uh, Lara bar. Are you which making is, fun of me? What? A banana, a banana man. Ray, how do you he feel? He draws your face on it. Ray, how do you feel when you... Has it changed? Because you couldn't eat a banana for a long time. Like, no, I couldn't. Like, really? But I've now learned how So to now eat. you love bananas? And... Yeah, I love bananas. I'll be having one for uh, dessert tonight. Have you ever fried banana on a bit of butter? Oh, yeah. No, don't get into it the is, fried You slice them and just stuff. fry them. Oh. It is no, there's banana banana brown sugar, banana There are yeah. some things What's that up? should not be fried no. in a banana as well. Oh, have you had banana foster? You need to repent. that junk. No, no. What's wrong with you? Chef Lance made banana foster when you were out of town. It was so good. Okay, so let me finish. Banana. Lara bar, it's a date, dates, and uh, yep. cashew. That's good. Orange juice, and then a cheese. So you're saying I carbs? Get, I don't know. Carb and sugar. <laughs> That's your breakfast. <laughs> is that good? I have no idea about anything regarding nutrition. No, but I mean that's a banana's good, and and a Lara bar, right? Dates and cashews. Do you ever eat the peel? Cheese. Huh? <laughs> Do you ever eat the peel? <laughs> Nobody eats banana peels. Oh. It could be a cure to every disease. I don't know what's wrong with people. They just start doing make it, right? jokes about slipping on bananas, but no one eats the peel. Start no. doing it, Brad, man. Our buddy Brad Snow, he eats the center of the apple. Yeah. Okay. So when you give him an apple, he'll eat the entire apple. I've noticed yeah. a branch coming out of his mouth. <laughs> Brad, that, that, <laughs> that's a serious problem. But are, is cheese good for you? I don't know. Well, it depends. Have you tried fried I cheese? Mean, you put a little bit of butter, put the cheese in the I fried like mozzarella sticks. No, fried seriously. Sticks? Have you ever really tried? Easy. I'm saying something <laughs> incredible here. Fry cheese till it's golden in a pan and it just... just Wait, have you serious? ever done that on your tortilla for a taco? No, change your you life. turned my daughter. Wait, so you wait, take your cheese. I turned your daughter onto that. Eden loves it. Yeah. Wait, wait. How do you fry cheese? You without put it in a frying pan. pan. No, no, no. But you gotta. What are you talking about? You It'll get a melt. hunk of cheese. It melts and then it goes golden brown and, and it, it gets crunches. crispy. Oh, it is just so good. So what you can do is you do that, but then you put a corn tortilla on top of it. And then flip that over and put your like a st- steak inside of that because then you get the crunchiness from Wagyu the fried steak? cheese. Oh, the quesadilla, and the Oscar. Taco. Guys, thanks for joining us today. This is, uh, <laughs> so this is what happens way, when, we, when we do our podcast at twelve fifteen in the afternoon. We talk about food. Ray wrote a book called "Who Moved My Cheese?" about food. Ray, <laughs> who moved my cheese? <laughs> left the cake out in the rain. Uh, no, but uh, your book on food. The nine, the foods. one that's coming. Oh, and the nine foods that Jesus ate or recommended. We've got a cookbook coming out. And yeah. I'm working with uh, our award-winning New York chef that comes chef out in about Lance. a month. It's, yeah, it's is he coming out? The book's coming out. Oh, yeah. But the nine foods that Jesus ate or recommended? Yes. Uh, that's at livingwaters.com, friends. Make sure to check that out. And uh, Thank yeah. You, 
Thank uh, you. Thank you for mentioning oh, that. You're welcome. Some good taste. Uh, well, we, we did. That was in good taste. We also did an episode uh, on it. It was really good. You can consume it in about two days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just chew it So, on. friends, I'm getting in a habit here. Before we kick off the program, today we're talking about what should Christian discipleship look like. And uh, <laughs> we hope you haven't been oh, badly discipled. Oh, I thought we started that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but I've been getting in the habit of reading uh, comments that have been coming in on our Apple podcast platform. And this one says, thank you. It's from Brian Keaton. Two years ago, God found me and radically changed my life. I've literally watched thousands of Living Waters Way the Master episodes and still do almost every single day. My only critique is that you need to do more podcast episodes. Thank you for your ministry. Ray, you're a legend. Wow. Did I you just add that? I was going, I would have added something, but it's actually real. <laughs> no, it's wow. not. That'd be silly. Brian, check your discernment, brother, there. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> What? What's that say? I can't say it. We'll get us into trouble. All right. It's it's okay, though. Okay, friends. We've been bad examples of uh, making disciples today, but we are jumping into this topic on discipleship. Guys, uh, discipleship. Did you ever even know what that word meant when you're an unbeliever? If someone said, hey, bro, are you a disciple? Well, it's disciples in a ship. <laughs> Did you people ask that question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, the International Church of Christ does, the Boston Movement people. Uh, Ray, what were you saying? Disciples in a ship. That's what it is. The oh, disciples are in the boat with Jesus. That's discipleship. I like that. Yeah, you know, a discipleship is huge. Disciple we, boat. That Tell Ken Ham that his park <laughs> is a boat and you're in big trouble. <laughs> Boy, he hates that, doesn't yeah. he? It's not a boat. Discipleship is huge. I mean, this is really at the heart of, not only do we see it, mentioned throughout the New Testament, but it's at the very heart of the Great Commission, Matthew mm-hmm. 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. Boy, we take the words of Jesus for granted, but think how he began that passage. Mm. All authority of heaven and earth is yeah. given to me. You think of what the implications of that. Wow. We love to give things away. We love to give things away. And that's why we will do that every single day here on the Living Waters Podcast. That's right, friends. We're giving away goodies for those of you who go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast and fill out the form. We are giving 10, believe it or not, 10 different people each week goodies from Living Waters, $100 value for each box. You'll get tracts and books and a podcast mug and all kinds of good things. So make sure to participate at livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. And make sure to listen to the very end of the podcast where you will hear the announcement of the winners every week. You know, that's a good point, Ray, because I don't think we focus enough on that when it comes to the Great Commission. Yeah. Years ago, when we used to go to the courthouse and open air preach every day, I, I remember, you know, times when it didn't feel exciting to do it or like these people are just sitting there and who are we to go up and do it? And then I just remember, wait a minute, God has said the authority that Christ has given was connected to him calling us to go. I don't need anyone's permission. Mm. I don't need anyone's invitation God told me to, mm-hmm. you know, through the word. And that's one of those legitimate God told me, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Why are you doing this? God told me. <laughs> 
And he did. And it's, it's really rooted in, in authority. Everything, Mark, doesn't everything ultimately come down to authority? Yep. <laughs> so, authority. You know, I'm never asking yep. this guy another question for the rest of my life. Oh, let your yes be yes. Ah, uh, just kidding. Okay, so let's break it down. Discipleship. Uh, first of all, what is it? Uh, Dis- like I said, Apple. Ship. Con. With discipleship. Um, Science. But we, like I said, we obviously see it mentioned all throughout the Bible. What does it mean? So the Greek term mathetes is what it is. And it, it refers generally to any student, pupil, apprentice, or adherent, as opposed to a teacher. And in the ancient world, and this is something I'm reading I found online, in the ancient world, uh, however, it is most often associated with people who were devoted followers of a great religion leader or teacher of a philosophy. We had done an episode on counseling, and we talked about how counseling is it's something that happens you know, between people. It doesn't have to have that formal sense to it. Bottom line is any, any Christian who's watching our life is learning from us, and they're being influenced by us in one way or another, right? There's always discipleship going on between believers. Wouldn't you say, Oscar? Absolutely, yeah. And I love that you started with the Great Commission because I think in many of our circles, we tend to treat the Great Commission as though it says, make converts. Yeah. As though it's enough that uh, the Great Commission is that we go out there and we just simply preach the gospel and we see people get converted and then we move on. But it doesn't say that. It doesn't say make converts. It says make disciples. And disciples are followers of Jesus whose lives are marked by God and reflect his glory through thought, word, and deed. And the only way that you can make a disciple is by sharing life with them. Good point. This is this is my only point, actually. Oh, well, I still no. You. Continue on. I want to build off uh, of sharing life with them. We talked about in the last episode how it's not just data transfer. We don't sit down and teach. We don't create programs in the church to walk people through certain doctrines, although those things are really important, although we do need to catechize our people, although doctrine and teaching is valuable, but actual discipleship happens in unplanned conversations. 100%. It happens when you're sitting in your backyard with a cup of coffee with a friend and he starts sharing his life with you, right? It happens at the dinner table when you invite that young believer over and he gets to watch as you pray with your children. He gets to watch your bedtime routines. You open your doors and you share life because as it's, it's what Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. They get to then see how you're applying the gospel in your home and follow you accordingly. That's exactly right. First Corinthians 11, one, imitate me as I imitate Christ. What, Oscar, what you just spelt out is entirely foreign to discipleship as we see in the church today. When somebody says, hey, will you disciple me? Our response is, all right, well, go read this book. Right, right, right. Right? Go listen to this audio, watch this video. Here's a couple articles. They're really great. But no, listen, true biblical discipleship, you consider what it was in the first century. It was living life right? So you would see, hey, I'm going to a funeral, you're coming with me. I'm going out to eat, you're coming with me. I'm going to the hospital, you're coming with me. I'm going to the Rams game, you're coming with me. True discipleship is a day-to-day grind of seeing everything about how this individual who I'm looking up to handles daily affairs. So everything that you will ever go through during this period, during the season where we've agreed to go through, you're just a part of it. Hey, I'm going to go on a walk, 
with you. I'm going to a restaurant with you. I'm going to answer this phone call with you, right? And you're able to see that and it's caught more than it is taught, right? So this is, that's an absolute brilliant point, Oscar. And we must not forget that the true discipleship is a day-to-day affair. Yeah. Mm. You know, Ray, I know you believe in discipleship because you've said it hundreds upon hundreds of times to people in public. I don't believe in follow-up, <laughs> propping up uh, the whatever you say. I do believe in discipleship. Yeah, I believe in feeding, nurturing, and discipling. John 8, 31, 32. Uh, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, not just in word, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So when someone comes to Christ, they become a disciple, and then they grow they nurture, they're nurtured, they're fed, they're discipled. They, and I think the word disciple obviously comes from the word discipline. And that's what you need. We're part of an army. Have you ever seen the movie? I haven't watched it all because it's probably got bad stuff in it, but called The Dirty Dozen. Heard of yes. it. Yeah, do you know what the story is with that? Yeah, it was a whole stack of murderers. A dozen of them were just nasty dudes that were going to be executed. And they came to him and said, we've got an impossible task for you to fulfill in the war. If you fulfill it, we're going to pardon you. But you're going to risk your life. It's and they're all criminals. They're all horrible, horrible guys. Wow. But they, during the whole thing, they didn't come. They didn't enlist in that sense. That was, you're going to lose your life. We're going to kill you if you don't do this. You're going to live if you do it. How different it is when we come to Christ. We come with a complete yielding to him, surrendering, loving him, serving him, and doing it with uh, great enthusiasm. That's the difference between the dirty dozen and the dirty Christians. Mm. We're soundly saved, but we're, we're serving God willingly. We've presented our bodies a living sacrifices, holding it, acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. So our discipline comes motivated by gratitude and love and, and, uh, and for what we've seen in the cross. Yeah. You know, what you two have touched on, Mark and Oscar, in terms of the lifestyle discipleship, right? Knowing that, I think, creates a greater accountability for every believer. Because like I said in the beginning, we're constantly discipling, right? Everyone who's in our sphere of influence, who's a believer, is in one way or another being discipled by us, right? Rising up in the sitting down. Yeah. I mean, I've told you guys, there's someone I know who I can tell who they've been hanging out with because they begin to mimic how that person talks. If mm. that person has a lisp, they start lisping. I'm like, oh, you're hanging out with someone. Like, how do you know? Because that's oh, what you do. Oh, goodness me. Am I going to start saying, well, do the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Living water. <laughs> but seriously, though, I mean, you know, there's times when we interact with someone and we're like, you remind me so much of this person because they spend so much time with them. They just start, you know, to emulate them. And this speaks to the importance of us examining ourselves and asking ourselves, what, what, are, we, what are we discipling people with in terms of our lifestyle and the way we live and the things we say and the things that we do? I've often talked about how evangelism is typically viewed when we hear the word witness, right? We usually think of it in the verb form, we witness, and we, we forget that there's a noun form, witness. We are a witness. And you break the word down. Wit, with, ness. <laughs> How long are we going to beat that horse? Huh? Wit, ness. Oh, my wife would Con be offended wit. by that comment, by the way. Science knowledge. Why your would wife, you beat a horse? Uh, your wife loves horses. <laughs> no, it talks about running faster than a Oh, horse. that's what it is. Yeah. Anyway, this just speaks to the issue of what are people seeing from us? This, oh, this hits hard. John Collins said, you are to follow no man further than he follows Christ. Hmm. Isn't Ooh. that good? Yeah. And how are we following Christ? You know, what, what's happening in our lives by the way that we live? Are we living those exemplary lives? And guys, look, I think sometimes we try to 
glamorize first century Christianity, right? Like that the early believers had no issues. Hmm. Like there were no problems. Have you read the New Testament? Right. <laughs> Obviously we know that there were. But at the same time, I think we ignore the fact though that because they were in the throes of persecution and they were in that intense heat of being constantly hounded and, and having to fight for their lives because of the faith, that there was serious commitment to Christ. It was, it was a deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me kind of situation in many cases. And we don't find that. Ray, what are you doing? Rip piece of, Just rip it. I'm trying to rip these paper off and I'm trying to do it quietly. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> well, you know, you bring up a really good point, though, and it's so interesting to read Roman and Greek historians that were observing the church that were not Christian, mm. because their commentary, it's funny, they get a lot of things wrong, but it's interesting the things that they observe. Yeah. One of the things that they observed is they talk about, like, the Sunday ritual of the early church. They didn't show up for an hour or two, listen to a sermon and leave. Pliny the Elder makes this comment in his, in his observations where he says, yeah, these, these weird Christians spend all day together <laughs> and they eat together and they sing songs all through the night. And fall out windows during the night. <laughs> fall out windows. <laughs> Poor and, and so what happened, he was an outsider looking in and he saw a local church spending sunrise to past sundown together. What was happening behind those closed doors? Discipleship. Yeah. Oh, that's good. It was said that they perceived that they had been with Jesus. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Not, not that they were taught, discipled, and everything else. That's all included. But they had been with them. You could tell that they had been with them, to your point, Easy, because they had the same mannerisms and they had the same message. And yeah. miracles. Yeah. So, so as far as, as far as discipleship goes, right, you can't disciple unless you're a disciple, right? And so it's disciples making disciples. Of disciples. Of disciples who were discipled by other disciples. And healthy sheep will beget other healthy sheep. And goats, yeah. oh, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> goats, we're getting into goats. <laughs> but listen, oh man. Anything else? No. <laughs> it's gone. It's yeah, gone. Was it the goat thing? <laughs> you threw me off with your goat, Ray. Yeah, it's just uh, one But word. no, it, here's the thing. We are living in a day and age where... We are, we are too. <laughs> we are. Yeah, that's the truth. But where people just won't say the hard things. Mm -hmm. It's either they're psychopathic, crazy, condemning maniacs, or they're ear ticklers. You like that description, Oscar? <laughs> yeah. But listen to this by Horatius Bonner. If you're a Christian, be consistent. Be Christians out and out, Christians every hour and every part. Beware of half-hearted discipleship, of compromise with evil, of conformity to the world, of trying to serve two masters, to walk in two ways, the narrow and the broad at once. It will not do. Half-hearted Christianity will only dishonor God while it makes you miserable. Mm. Boom. Uh, Mic drop. First Thessalonians, verse, uh, chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, mm -hmm. I think is a wonderful example of why we disciple. Here's what Paul says. For we never used flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness. And we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. Although we could have been a burden as Christ apostles, instead we were gentle among you 
as a nursing mother nurtures her own child. Mm. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. Mm. There's three things that you can point out there. First, that discipleship is not for self-gain. It's not flattering speech. You're not afraid to have tough conversations because you just want the other person, you know, your fear isn't that I just want them to like me or think I'm amazing. There's no greedy motives. They are gentle and loving like a nursing mother. And it's not just shared information, the gospel, but it's transformation. It's experiencing the transformation of our own lives. Susan Hunt is a sweet widow in her 80s. Her, her husband was a, a Presbyterian pastor, and now she's just an author. She points out the discipleship is informational, relational, and transformational. Hmm. And she sums it up like this. I like that. Hmm. We're called to share the content of the gospel in the context of relationships that reflect God's relationship with us. If we only share the information, our discipleship will be academic. If we only share our lives, it'll be anemic. Wow. Mm. Oh, that's really good. Mm. Yeah, and godliness. Peter says, God has given us, in Second Peter 1, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Anything we could possibly ever need to be faithful disciples has been given to us. Mm-hmm. But man, guys, worldliness has so encroached upon the church. And it's not just that worldliness is encroached upon the church, but we've gotten to a point where we're reticent to even call each other out on mm. worldliness in, in one another's lives. And there's a problem with that. Yeah. And I think it's, we're trying to walk that fine line, right? I don't want to come across as judgmental. I don't want to be condemning to my brethren. I don't want to violate their convictions. But if there's someone that I know who's getting drunk and they claim to be a Christian, if there's someone I know who's claiming to, to love Christ and is being harsh and abusive in their words with their wife and their kids, mm-hmm. if someone's claiming to be a Christian and they're lusting after women and I can see them as we're hanging out and like, ooh, and it's evident, do we not speak into each other's lives? Is there no more, hey, I mean, think of what Paul said in First Corinthians 5. He says, do you not judge those who are in the church? Those who are outside, God judges. But those who are within, right? I mean, we make, like Jesus talked about, righteous judgment. And, and then he talks about how we're not to associate with anyone who's a so-called brother, but they're a fornicator and so on. And he gives a whole list of things there. So I Let don't know. sexual immorality not even be mentioned among you. And what we do is we call it locker room talk, Yeah, right? It's just amongst the guys. We must remember that everything we say is within earshot of the Lord. How much different would our conversation be if we recognized that our wife is always with us? How much more if the Lord was always with us and he is always with us? Mm. And how would you say, good question for you guys, how would you say to go about, what is the best way to go about communicating with someone when you feel like the conversation has gone off of that straight and narrow path? Maybe even you've uh, been a part of the conversation in the past where somebody has had bad communication, you know, off humor. Let's just call it what it is. How do you bring it back on? How do you communicate in such a way where you're like, I'm not trying to come down on you. I'm trying to come alongside of you in order that we both might walk that straight and narrow path. Yeah. Those are the most uncomfortable situations, right? I've been when... feeling like that with, when you got your second Lamborghini. <laughs> <laughs> Oscar. 
Mark. <laughs> I needed a yellow one. <laughs> yeah. But those are the tough situations, aren't they? When it kind of, it's in the heat of the moment and someone says something and everyone's listening and what do you do? It's an awkward moment. You don't want to create tension, right? But I think there's something about, and scripture also Sometimes something is so egregious, you have to call it out in front of people. But I think the biblical principle of taking your brother aside, it has such power to it. It's having good discernment. Yeah. There's another aspect too. Um, Not only not being afraid to to challenge a brother in the Lord in his sin, but there's also being the kind of person Mm. that is willing to quickly confess your sin. I would venture to say that if you think of your closest friends of the same sex, male or female, depending on who you are, if they're the kind of people that you don't often confess your sins to, that you don't share those struggles, your temptations, they don't really know you, Mm. right? And so a part of discipleship is being known, is being honest, is being able to sit down and go, hey man, I need prayer for this, for this area of my life. Yeah, authentic Christian relationships are deeper than sports and perhaps an agreement on politics. Right. Yeah. Right. I remember I had reached out to a friend who was going through a tough time with one of his children. And I had said, hey, I'm here for you. Uh, I'd love to be able to meet with uh, your child if need be. And he said, it's nothing that I can't handle with the Lord. And he's right. right? He's right. There's nothing that he can't handle with the Lord. But God has kind of designed us communally to bear one another's burdens and maybe be able to speak inside of each other's lives when maybe the parent is having difficulty in doing so. And how many times have we seen it with our own wives, yeah. right? Where we go to say something to our wife and we've said it for years. And then all of a sudden a spouse or a child comes back to us and says, you know, easy said this to me, dad. Hmm. And I go, I've been saying that to you since you were two, <laughs> right? Well, what do you mean? You're just getting that now. Yeah. But sometimes these outside voices that we respect or just a timing aspect, God makes all things beautiful in his time and it just clicks yeah. eventually and finally. And yeah. it's, I mean, James 5, confess your sins to one another. That is not a conversion. That is a discipleship verse. It's about discipling one another to be able to confess your sins. Yeah. And I think that recognizing that calling each other out on things is a part of discipleship. And I mean, we kind of, this has organically gone into these areas. And it is good. difficult though. I mean, you hear a Christian say the word geez. Yeah. Uh, and just in their conversation, and they don't realize that that's a derivative of, of the name of Jesus used yes. in blasphemy. And I've had to mention it to people, and it's awkward for me, but I've got to say it because they usually yeah. say, I didn't know that. Yeah. Mm. Euphemisms. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, there was a one time, Ray, you and I, you may not remember, but we went to lunch with someone and they kept, they kept blaspheming. And this was someone who's reputed in the Christian world is relatively well known. And, Who? And, <laughs> so when Rhymes you, with Schmark Pence. And when you looked at Mark, right, and <laughs> you said, hey, you know, that's, you, you called him out on it. That's and it. he's like, oh, really? You know, and, and oh, I, I didn't, you know. And, but, you know, recently there was someone that I was interacting with and they were dropping F-bombs, you know. You're kidding. And they, they, they claimed the name of Christ and they were like, and I called him out on it. I said, hey, you know, I, and it, it, was, it, it was a part of a, a bigger conversation about, a place where they're at in life. And I just said, look, scripture says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And, and they were blaspheming God too. They kept just saying, yeah. and so I called them on that and they thanked me then. And then later on, they, they, I mean, they've stayed close to me and it didn't cause any. And I think as scripture says, he who rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with the tongue. Right. So I have a question. So you have a new believer and the new believer uses some foul language from time to time. Yeah. 
I would send him our podcast on blast, uh, cursing. <laughs> yeah, our cussing. Agreed. Podcast. Great cussing idea. Cussing. Is this a matter of it's such a part of the old man they can't get rid of it, or are they just so quick to speak and not quick to listen that uh, it's happening? I mean, what is taking place there? I mean, I don't remember the last time I've dropped a bad word like that. In fact, I don't ever remember using blasphemy ever in the history of my life. But obviously, I'm not above this foul language. But I'm trying to think of, and I have somebody specific that I'm thinking of. How do you go about talking to them? Because it seems like here comes a foul word from time. And then they'll go, oh, you know, forgive my friend. You're saying this is a young believer? That's a young believer. Yeah. And what yeah. I'd say to them is, how do you pray? Do you how do you get them? Like do, five, do, six? <laughs> well, say, I, would, I would take, you know, I, again, what I would do, and this is where discipleship comes in, is I would take them aside and gently talk to them about it and show them what scripture says. I know I'll hold some more proceed out of your mouth, uh, put away filthy language from your mouth, you know, stuff like that. And just remind them of that. Say, hey, you know, as Christians, we're witnesses. And he knows it though. Like he recognizes it. So I guess my question is more along the lines of sanctification. Yeah, exactly. How soon is sure. this, are these things eliminated? You know, it's all different. Like I stopped mm-hmm. cussing the day I got saved. There are other people that it took them a while. But for me, it's, it's really difficult to envision someone who truly got born again and who's been born again for a, a long time, yeah. understands what scripture says, has been exhorted on it, but that just keeps on doing it. Right. It's just hard for me to envision that they've really been transformed. Sure. You know? I, I would ask them, how do they pray? Holy Father, blank, blank. Yeah. You just would never do that in prayer because <laughs> you fear God. Well, Listen, I remember, I mean, easy now, we have a mutual friend from 25 years ago who became a senior pastor. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning of what his are you going to tell me, Mark? <laughs> ministry, during our prayer time together, no, we were praying for the service that was happening, and he drops the F bomb and he used it like this. No, because God, we pray that you would blankety blank move, that you would F and move in the service. And I paused and I went, are you serious? <laughs> you did say that. Yeah. And he goes, oh, I didn't even realize that I did that. Well, he ended really? up becoming a senior pastor later yeah, on, yeah. but that was kind of his natural mode. And, and again, and I think that can happen. You know, you're so accustomed to it. It's like, I mean, you guys know, it. I, it's crazy these days. I've heard teenagers, every other word almost is an F-bomb and blanket. It's so ingrained, you know, but again, if they're born again, it's going to start getting, they're going to start getting conviction. So, yeah. you know, um, yeah. What's that movie that Hodder put out? Uh, the guy, I can't remember, Leonardo DiCaprio, used the F-bomb 480 times. Oh, oh is that the Wolf, Wolf of Wall Street? Yeah, yeah. so what, what you, you, expect that, an, <laughs> you expect a, a generation to talk like that if they keep hearing their heroes talk like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Mm. You make a really good point, and I totally agree with you in regards to when you have a seasoned Christian who knows God's Word, you start yeah. to struggle with that. But an aspect of discipleship is, and you kind of alluded to this, the reality that their sanctification is not on our personal timeline. Yeah, Because that can be a danger that when we disciple other individuals, that we disciple them into becoming into the image of me. Yeah. Well, this is where I'm at in my sanctification Or process. this is what happened when I got saved. It should happen to you right away. By year two, I was this, and this is how I think, and this is how I do, because we're not conforming them into the image of me. They're being conformed by God into his own image on his timing. Yeah. And I think that's a struggle for a lot of people right. to realize that. Yeah. And then, of course, there's active sanctification. And we know that, that, that we need to yield and surrender to the Lord as well. And sometimes that growth can be hindered by our rebellion or by our unwillingness to yield. So there's a lot of factors at play a lot of times. 
There's one area that we haven't talked about discipleship yet that I really want to make sure we touch on. Joseph H. Hellerman wrote a book called When the Church Was a Family. He's a historian. And one of the most standout moments in that book is that he talks about discipleship as a form of evangelism. It's not, it's not friendship evangelism. Friendship evangelism we talk about often where it's like, well, I'm going to wait two years before they really know me, before I share the gospel with them. What he says is that there was non-believers that were invited to participate, observe, be a part of the community of the church. And through their observations, they became believers. And so this looks practically, I actually have a wonderful testimony of this. We had a neighbor that, that moved in with us and by like day two or three, I had him in my backyard. We, I got to hear his life story. I shared the gospel with him and told him my life story. And it was like, oh yeah, that's kind of interesting, cool. And then over the weeks and months, we invited them to church. We invited them over to dinner. They started joining our Bible study and the husband ended up getting saved. And about three months later, the wife ended up getting saved, mm. active members of our church now. And so the point is discipleship in that particular instance, I didn't preach the gospel and go, okay, get back to me when you decide to say yes, or I will just continue to see you and preach the gospel to you at a distance. We invited them into our church community, into our lives. It was the devotional time with my kids that he was like, man, like that's beautiful. I never thought about being intentional with children before and yeah. all of these things. Ultimately, what was happening is through a kind of discipleship, he got saved. Mm, wow. And that that is a mark of the early church. Right. They didn't hold back those areas of their lives from non-believers. Yeah, that's again, watching the work of God in a believer is a huge testimony to unbelievers, you know, and we know that the error is of course, when people have gone, like you mentioned to friendship evangelism as the extreme of, we just show, we don't share, right? <laughs> you right. know, show and don't tell. But Ray, you have discipled all of us here and yet you're not the formal discipling kind. I mean, I remember when I first, after Rachel and I, uh, got engaged, I think. I'm thinking, yeah, Ray and I, we're going to have these deep, long discipleship moments. <laughs> we're going to sit down and he's going to... And then I realized that's just not your personality. But your discipleship in our lives has been like monumental. It's It's been transformational. I mean, you just think, Mark, of evangelism. Why is it that you and I even started open-air preaching? Right. That's exactly right. You know, it's because of Ray's example that he's gone before us. Somebody once said, when we don't find positive mentors, by default, negative ones actually find us. Ooh, that's good. Wow. So we are always being discipled. Yeah. If we are not discipling our kids, the next door neighbor will be mm. discipling our kids and teaching our kids that we things that we don't want them to learn. So we must counter all the things that are happening inside of our lives. But when it comes to people like Ray and other people that we've just read, been discipled through books and through sermons and things of that nature, oftentimes it's looking into one's life and seeing how they live their life are the true words that hit home with us and we take them with us throughout our life. I was discipled by Wesley, Spurgeon, Whitfield. Uh. <laughs> it's just quite, you know, just their example. Wesley's zeal just thrills my, uh, Whitfield's hmm. sanctification and his passion for the lost, that he'd weep in front of sinners when he was oh. preaching to them. Yeah. It just, and... It just does something in you to read. And Spurgeon's just continual concern for the lost when he was so up there as a theological teacher, but he was so down to earth. Mm. Yeah, and you know, this is a 
somewhat of a tangent, but also somewhat related. You just think of that, like you've, you've just mentioned men who we've never seen, removed from them by 100 or 200, 300 years, almost some. And there was no video technology, no audio technology, but we're still being discipled from them. Though dead, yet they still speak. Yeah. They gave us their written word. And what a blessing, right? Like that we're, they're still, they're dead, but they're still ministering. But they're like, they're, they're living characters in my mind. Yeah. I can almost see Whitfield. I've seen pictures of him. I can, Wesley riding his horse and preaching. Yeah. I've seen pictures of him. It's a continual encouragement. Yeah, it, it really is. And again, it speaks to how much impact we can have by speaking. And, and these days you can record and you can, I mean, I get excited, honestly, at the thought of these podcasts and our television program and our YouTube channel that our progeny, Lord willing, will be able to see our example in the Lord and watch us witness and listen to mm. us talk about the Lord and the things of God. And, and while everyone doesn't have this kind of platform, all of us can impact by our words. I mean, memory, right? Sure. That's passed on. My dad told me, and then you tell your kid, and then he told me, and you tell him, you know? Well, there's two things. So your average person doesn't have a podcast. You're absolutely right. But they have their Bibles. Right. And I can't, when I see my Bible get older and weathered and as my notes fill up, my highlights go in there, part of me hopes that one day my kids will be holding that yeah. when I'm long gone or my grandchildren will be holding that. And that I know, will we'll be, be holding mine. I know, legacy. yeah, I'll be holding Ray's, that's for sure. <laughs> you can change a, that if you want. No, <laughs> too late, gotta keep you wed. I'm getting Ray's giant, ginormous, <laughs> big, fat, huge, 5,000 pound Bible. What was, what'd you put in there, Ray? The Pharisee edition or? Yeah, yeah I can't remember. Dragged through the dirt. <laughs> that's <no>. right. <laughs> So, no, that's, that's really good, Oscar. And Oh, this Bible has been soaked in a bath for two weeks and dragged behind a car to make it like this, like a Pharisee's Bible, something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, anyway, man, godliness, huge. I love this. Mark Dever said this. He says, in his treatise concerning religious affections, Jonathan Edwards suggested that true growth in Christian discipleship is not finally mere excitement, increasing use of religious language or a growing knowledge of scripture. It is not even an evident increase in joy or in love or concern for the church, even increases in zeal and praise to God and confidence of one's own faith are not infallible evidences of true Christian growth. What then is evidence of true Christian growth? According to Edwards, while all these things may be evidences of true Christian growth, the only certain observable sign of such growth is a life of increasing holiness rooted in Christian self-denial. The church should be marked by a vital concern for this kind of increasing godliness in the lives of its members. And again, foreign stuff, because what, what have we done, right? We've interpreted anything that is exhortative toward godliness and righteousness and holiness and zeal as works-based righteousness or that it's your step toward salvation. And that's just not it. We're called, God, he wants for himself a, a people zealous for good works or to be disciplined for godliness. That is really the, the hallmark of discipleship. And from that, there are, you know, we've talked about the informal, but there are, it, it's good to also make it something that is routine and habitual, like with our kids, right? We disciple our children. Mm. We take them through the word, Ray, you've talked about family altar. How many times would you say you did devotions? 3,000. 
3,000 times with your kids growing up. And it wasn't like a, a ritualistic thing. It wasn't like legalistic. We would just have a six o'clock reading time and we'd just come together as a family and read the word. Yeah. If we had visitors, we'd do it with the visitors. I remember the wizard from Christchurch actually was with us one time. We, we had dinner together. On he got there on a broom. Motions. No, he didn't have a broom. <laughs> Rachel has good memories of that. And I think of that now. I think of my, my, my beautiful wife's Impact. She has, I think, about 23,000 women following her on Instagram now. What's the name of the Instagram? It's called Joyful Mothers. She started this little thing just and faithfully every week posting several times. 23,000 women, and then she's got 10,000 or so on Facebook following her. But the impact that she's having, you know, those times you did, Ray, were not in vain. They nurtured her soul. They gave her a fear of God. They, and now we see her discipling other women. Wow. It's massive. And then we can do it. We can do it with friends and people. I mean, think of all the people we've all discipled formally, right? In our church, you, Oscar, and what you're doing with mm-hmm. the church plant, Mark and I with the young men in our lives and when we pastored. And it's huge. It has impact. People come up to me and tell me stuff I told them from years previous or something they heard me say. I'm like, I said that? <laughs> that just happened to me, but it, it backfired on me. <laughs> Did it? Was yeah, it bad advice? We had apparently, well, yes and no. We had a couple who started coming to the church Again, beautiful discipleship conversation, seeing them grow in the Lord, one of them getting saved, got to experience baptisms. They got married at the church, but they're from a different state. And so at one point we were talking, apparently like two years ago, I said, thinking that I was in my mind, thinking the answer to this was Southern California. I said to them, they said, I said, you should choose where you live based on where your marriage will thrive and along with where the Lord wants you. And so they're moving back to their home state. And he pulled uh, me aside and he was like, hey, I just want to tell you that this thing you said to me, that that was like the seed that, that made this move happen. I was like, dang it, because <laughs> we're losing this amazing well, couple at our church. Be careful what you say, <laughs> right? Know. Yeah. So yeah, well, I'm, I'm encouraged, stirred, and hope you are too, friends, to recognize that God has called us to make disciples. And before you disciple, you need to ask yourself, am I being a faithful disciple? Because nothing is going to stifle those that follow your lead more than hypocrisy. Ray you don't said want to this. Just stifle disciple. St- oh, stifle disciple. Stifle Not disciple. a true rhyme, but we'll take it. But nothing stifles really discipleship more than hypocrisy, whether you're a parent or whether you're mm. a pastor or whether you're involved in someone's life and pouring into them. They're going to be completely disillusioned and that's big. We need to be an example to the believers, as Paul said to Timothy, in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Mm-hmm. That and reminds so. me of a story. It started when I was two. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is your wrap up. Yeah. We're going to leave you to it. And so, friends, we hope you're encouraged. As far as what we kind of ended with, talking about our children, Ray wrote a very powerful book called How to Bring Your Children to Christ and Keep Them There. And you can get that at livingwaters.com. A really powerful book to give you insight, really, on how to disciple your children. So we're here to check that out. And remember... Pop living. Why do I always forget this? Pop podcast at livingwaters.com. I always forget that thing. Yeah, I don't podcast know. So simple. at livingwaters.com. Comments, suggestions, rebukes for Mark Ray and Oscar, and praise for me. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time here on the L I V I N G Waters podcast. E <laughs> Ray's wheezing. I'm so sorry. You're wheezing. Uh, couldn't help it. There you have it, friends. See you next time. <laughs>
Winners, winners, winners. That's you, friends. Those of you who I'm about to announce are the winners of this week's podcast giveaway on the Living Waters podcast. We've got Carlos from Lamont, California, Daniel from Jamestown, North Carolina, Ed Washburn from Tennessee, David Norwood from North Carolina, Doug Campobello from South Carolina, Ali from Falls Church, Virginia, Adrian from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Joshua from Excelsior Springs, Missouri, Eva from Bow Island, Canada, and Penelope from Bardwell Park, Australia. Shout out to the Aussies and the Canadians out there. Friends, you can get this too. Those of you who are listening, just share the word and sign up for the Living Waters podcast.